On this episode of Quantum Week, December 16th through 23rd, 2007. Welcome to Quantum Week. I'm Matt. I'm Chris. Quantum Week is a show in which Chris and I leap into a random week of a random year. We talk about the movies, the music, the headlines, everything that's happening during that time period to make it unique. And today, we have a very special guest. We have Mike Geary, a.k.a. Blind Mike. Mike is a, is a Kirk's sidekick on the Kirk Minahan show. He's the Iron Man of that show. I think he's only missed one show. He's only, yeah, he's a Cal Ripken, and he missed that show to go to <laughs> Madawaska. That, that was it. Uh, so yes, follow, I was told to miss it. Welcome, Mike. And, uh, we're so glad you're here. Well, thank you, boys. Thank you very much. And for anyone, you know, for all the, the many listeners you guys have that don't know the Kirk Minahan show, it's on Barstool Sports. And Barstool was a, it used to be a free paper and has actually grown into this big thing. So you guys should really check it out. I'm sure there are many people that are not familiar with it. So You're a son of a bitch. We have fans, Mike. We have fans. <laughs> hey, Mike, who runs Barstool? What's his name again? Uh, I, I don't know. He's oh, a Jewish right, fellow. Right. I forget his name. See how that works? Uh, <laughs> hey, let's talk about... Uh, so Mike did pick the movie, and he picked yep. he picked uh, Walk Hard, which was actually the number eight movie this week, um, but has become, and it was the only week it was in the top ten. Uh, so it, I believe that, because I think I saw it in theaters, but I was probably the one of three people in the theater at the time. Yeah, you were the only person. So this is the, having said, though, it, it has had kind of a, like a, a cult classic. Resurgence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in it. And we can talk kind of how that, you know, how that works with these kind of movies. But why did you pick, you could have picked any movie you want, and you pick kind of a box office bomb, Mike. What, what, what's going on? <laughs> well, I gave you guys a few options because I didn't know how you guys wanted to do it necessarily. But I like the idea of doing a real obscure movie because it's one that I think more people should see. And it's a movie that I love that not a lot of people talk about. And it's kind of the last, not the last. I'm sure there are still, like the Lonely Island guys still do shit like this. But I feel like we're moving towards a generation where now even every comedy movie that comes out has to have some sort of a message. This had no message at all. It was just silly and ridiculous. I mean, it commented on other movies that were made, yeah. of course. But it's the best. I think it's the best parody movie in my lifetime, and it doesn't get talked about enough. Well, actually, I, I really thought that it helped. We watched Walk the Line just a few weeks ago. Like, because right. I think when I originally saw it, I probably saw it with such enough of a gap between the two that I didn't really get all of the references, but now I saw every single one. I think it, came I thought out, it was funny. It came out two years after Walk the Line came out, three years after Ray. This came out in yeah. 2007. So this it was still in the zeitgeist, but right, maybe you wouldn't have seen it so recently. So, uh, Matt, why don't you give a quick synopsis of it in case someone hasn't seen it? Walk hard, hard down life's rocky road. Walk bold, hard. That's my favorite part. Walk bold, walk hard. That's my favorite. This is what I love. If you're not totally paying attention, these could easily be songs in that time too, and that's what I think they did a great job of. Oh, the music is phenomenal. We'll get into that more. But the the situation. So it's a parody. It's a parody movie of Walk the Line and Ray, probably some others. Um, but it's the story of and music. Just that music in that time in general, I think. Totally. Uh, it's the story yeah. of musician Dewey Cox's life from accidentally killing his brother with a machete to international stardom, stardom, drug addiction, polygamy. Siring 20 plus kids, fall from grace to rebirth as a wise and musician before death 30 seconds later. Basically, it's, just, it's a spoof movie uh, in the vein of like a naked gun, but it deals with the genre of music biopics. Uh, and it does it really well in, in a lot of ways. Uh, which, what, what, do you, what, what do you love about the movie? Is there anything in particular you really love about the movie, Mike? A particular joke or scene or song? Uh, I mean, the complete silliness, like the idea that uh, he has this struggle like, where, he, where his father hates him his entire life. And then finally, like at the end, the dad cuts himself in half and they're having a conversation. And he says, you know, it's it's 1970, Pa. There must be plenty of ways to put top halves to bottom halves now. And that resolution and the ridiculousness of it, like it's just brilliant. And what I really like about it is I watched um, uh, actually last night. I watched that new uh, Pete Davidson movie, King of Staten Island. Yes. Oh, I don't think I can do it. Avatar. I don't think I can do it. And Judd Apatow produced this movie as well. And it, I look back at like uh, Walk Hard fondly because it was a time where Judd Apatow didn't feel he had to make this social commentary and the cast didn't have to be a certain way. It was just silly comedy that we're not going to get from that group anymore. Not only did Apatow produce uh, Walk, the, uh, Walk Hard, he co-wrote it. Uh, right. he, he was really involved with this movie. 
And you're right. There's a huge uh, shift in Apatow. I think it kind of happened with girls. So when he started working on girls, Apatow completely shifted into this kind of more of a woke, more of a social yeah. justice type uh, avenue. Ben, you know, the first decade of the century, mm-hmm. it was basically just straight comedy. 40-year-old virgin, uh, knocked up. These are yeah. movies that are just funny. They don't necessarily have to have a giant message. Like Mike said, a message attached to them. It was about the right. comedy first. And that's, I think that Mike makes a really good point that we're not seeing comedies that are comedy first anymore, um, which is troubling. Yeah, they're centered around some sort of message. And it's funny you say that with Apatow. It did, it did kind of start with girls, but where I think it really started is Catherine Heigl ripped the shit out of Seth Rogen and Judd Apatow uh, from the set of Knocked Up. Yep, she sure did. And called them sexist and everything. And Seth Rogen responded and was like, I don't really know kind of where she gets off saying that because she was in on the joke on the on the set and everything but it seemed like it really affected judd apatow and how judd apatow made movies he didn't want to come off as sexist all of a sudden so now everything had a message now he's doing movies with amy schumer instead of right uh, the guys that he came up with yeah no absolutely uh apatow and apatow at that time too was really you know not necessarily with walk walk hard maybe around that but you know the later part of that uh that decade he was the king of comedy like right. Apatow yeah. was the name in in com- especially in movie comedy uh, uh, movie making and and he kind of lost that when he went in this more progressive road and now there's no one who filled that gap. Uh, I don't know if there's ever been a worse time for comedy and movies than the last few years. No, you're right. Like I referenced uh, The Lonely Island, and they've made a couple of my favorite movies. Like Popstar and uh, Hot Rod are two of my Hot favorite. Hot Rod's great. Yeah. Silly, ridiculous. Like, there's no possible point to them, but they're just straight funny. So like The Lonely Island guys still do it, but even their stuff doesn't get a lot of play. Like Popstar, I think, was in theaters for like two weeks or something. So, um, so yeah, there's not that group that just – and Seth Rogen was that guy for a while, and he's started to have now everything has sort of a message to it. So yeah, there isn't that that void is not being filled by anyone. So because we're talking about this, I was going to play this later. But is there any way that this song gets put in a movie at this point, like right now? Yeah, probably not. No, right? And probably not. The best part about that is it's it's mocking the idea of what music was at that time but there would be no room for that now. They would just take the words and say, well, you can't say that. Well, not only the words, like just his, the way that he pronounces things, like the, right. how, you know, how he go, even he has a preface to that song in the film too, where he's on stage and he, he kind of, he, cha- you know, he changes his voice. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, I, I don't think that that would ever happen now. No. I wonder if we've lost, I hope, I wonder if we've lost that forever. Cause obviously he wasn't doing it to be derogatory. He was doing it to parody. I think we've lost any kind of racial humor forever, at least for from white people. I think other groups might be able to get away with it a little bit. Yeah. And you can still make fun of like Italians and Irish and that kind of stuff. I'll say this but, though. I never say forever. Things shift. So in right, the in the forties, things were very you know, you weren't seeing like full nudity on, on screen, but you would have kind of dark movies like double indemnity. You'd have yeah. some really and in the fifties everything shifted this really puritanical way. Until it wasn't around the 60s when you had this kind of rebellion movie making. Things shift. Things move. I don't think anything's eternal. I think it will be a while, though, before we see anything, you know, like that, you know, like that song or anything like that, especially from like a white performer. So are you saying in the 40s, like I, I'm trying to think of uh, early black and white TV. Citizen Kane, Casablanca. Those but are- like, but er- so let, just early, like, I don't know, 50s and 60s TV, black and white, when you would see bedroom scenes where, where husbands and wives were seating, like sleeping in different beds. Right. It wasn't like that before that. That was, that a, well, that was a reaction to you're what also was talking about two different, two different mediums. Am I? One okay. is TV, yeah. one is movies. So, yeah. so, but even movies in the 50s, for the most part, were pretty, pretty safe and pretty uh, antiseptic. Yeah. Um, and that shifted in the mid 60s. I'm just wondering yeah, if that we'll was a see reaction. Someone break out of that. It just doesn't. It doesn't. Right now, because we're living in the moment, it doesn't feel like we're ever going to get out of where we are in comedy. So, are we seeing now a reaction to what was happening in cinema, cinema and TV in like the late '90s to early 2000s? Is no, that what's happening? Yeah. Did it get a lot freer, and now there's a big retraction? I think we're seeing a reaction to a lot of social stuff going on right now. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what what's happening. Unfortunately, unfortunately, social things are driving movies and driving art. And that, that's not the worst thing in the world, no. uh, but it also isn't always the best thing in the world. And I think, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll see a, a change. I always like a change. So, you know, it's always nice to see changes. And every 5, 10, 15 years, you will. 
But I don't see, for the next five years, I don't see comedies being very bold. Or, and I, Mike, so you saw the, uh, the Apatow uh, Staten Island movie. Was yes. it? What, it was very message driven. It seems like just. I, I want to see it, but I've only read the reviews. I, I wouldn't say message driven. It's very uh, well. First of all, it's not a comedy in the way that uh, the Dewey Cox story is, where mm-hmm. the Walk Hard is like t- ten million jokes packed into an hour and a half, or whatever, however long the movie is. The King of Staten Island is two and a half hours, which is crazy long Jesus. for a comedy. That's kind of how Judd Apatow does it now. But it's also I wouldn't. It's more of a romantic comedy, even though it's got the element of a Judd Apatow movie where it's kind of the relationship between Pete Davidson and Bill Burr. But it's not this hit you every 10 seconds with jokes. There were maybe three, four times that I got a, a big laugh, if that. Right. So I don't even like I don't even necessarily Judd Apatow is almost more of a rom-com guy now than a real comedy guy. I think it's pretty, pretty fair to say. I, so let's talk about this movie for a second as far as my. So I'm not a huge fan of, of Walk Hard. I think it's okay. Oh, no. I also don't really love genre spoof movies like Naked Gun, uh, you know, Airplane. Some of these movies okay. I, I think are good, but um, like the funniest thing in the world, the funniest medium, to, funniest thing on any medium is Sopranos. I laugh harder watching Sopranos than I do anything else mm. because yeah. it mixes in the drama with the comedy. I think I need, I think I need some sort of balance. When it's just joke, 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 it it doesn't it doesn't pay off enough for me. Having said though, there are parts of this movie that were really funny and I think it was really well crafted. This is one of the better genre spoof movies I've ever seen, but I'm not a huge fan well, of the medium. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a fan of that genre, genre either. And I, maybe that's why I like this movie so much. Like if you look at the scary movie yeah. uh, franchise, right. like the first couple are funny and silly, but it's, I don't really give a shit about it. I think the way this movie mocks the movies and the, the genre it's trying to mock and the amount of, fu- I think, genuinely funny jokes they pack into it, I don't think it's done in any other parody movie. So maybe that's why it stands out to me so much. Yeah, most of the time when it's, they're like mockumentary style, if you're like, if you're doing, you know, music stuff, I, there aren't, right. there, there aren't very many like this. And I think with the music so damn good, like it's so good. The music yeah. is so well crafted. I, I give a lot of credit. I give a lot of credit to this film. No, and it's also just from a, how it's shot perspective. It's really well done. So sometimes these genre spoof movies can be shot really sloppily. Like, yeah, for instance, look right. at like the last couple like scary movies. Like it's just, it's just not they look, the last they look, couple. You watch those? Uh, bits, <laughs> nine, no, yeah. I didn't watch it. Not entirety, bits and pieces. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you can just see how it, it, they're just not they're not really they're not shot very well. It looked very yeah. minor league. Yeah, this right. was this was a thirty million dollar production. This looked professional. Yeah, and you have a you have an Oscar nominated actor in the lead. Like I know he's playing a goofy character, but John C. Riley can act. He can. Yeah, that's the funny thing, too. If you look at John C. Riley's career, where all of a sudden he's in uh, these Will Ferrell movies and then he's starring in this ridiculous parody movie, but he does such a great job at it. See, he's- Step Brothers is an example of something that is just full, full on jokes, but for some reason it really works for me. It's yeah. so stupid, but yet for some reason I really genuinely laugh at entire movie. So I guess there are exceptions to my little rule about I think being drama. Their, their relationship is really fun. It's just so ridiculous. Yeah. I've never seen anything like that, and they're never. It's never explained why they're like that. It's very, yeah. very bizarre. <laughs> but then it sucks because then it becomes well, we'll, well. Let's put Will Ferrell and John C. Riley and everything together, so they make that you know Holmes and Watts and well, that and was. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't see it. So I, I didn't, I didn't really either, but, uh, but I assume it was terrible. Yeah, yeah. It, that did not. That was one of the biggest box office bombs last year yeah. maybe the most critically savage movie in a while i feel like they uh the other th- the other thing they really did well with this movie is they took parts of the parts of like walk the line it was so ridiculous do you remember you you really you really were annoyed with walk the line with how they presented his wife his first wife yes ridiculous right. Right. totally ridiculous right, right. Because they, they just made her look like fucking the devil, the yeah. Satan. And they, they just went you ain't so never far. You going to make it, Dewey. <laughs> over and over. They just made it so, but like, right. so bizarre. And they, and, they, and they did a great job in Walk Hard parrying that. Exactly. You know, it was Chris DeWay's character. Yeah, that's what he said. Uh, and, 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 it's, it's, and I think having like the 9,000 kids is really funny. You know? Because <laughs> right. that's, that's exactly how these things are. They have to cram so much in. So the ringer did, the ringer as much as I, I have... A difficult relationship with the ringer. Yeah. They did an yeah. oral history of Walk Hard. I read it last night. Uh, if you're a fan of Walk Hard, it's definitely worth reading. Uh, but they do talk about some of the way they try to find those tropes and really, you know, they said it's really hard to take 80 years of someone's life, especially a full life like this, and put it into right. a two hour well, movie. Yeah, of course. It's almost destined to be ridiculous. Yeah. 
But yeah. then they mock they they mock even that, which I loved, and just the idea of having him die thirty seconds after his <laughs> <Right>. final performance, <laughs> or even very, just very well done. When all they're around. in certain periods, like the '60s are a troubling time, or you know, like <laughs> yeah. to actually call that out when no one would organically ever say that is is very funny. This is, yeah. a, this is in a, the garage with Charlie Manson, a terrible musician. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I love Tim Meadows too. Like the Tim He's Meadows really marijuana good. scene yes. is so good. Uh, get out of here, dude! You don't want any part of this. <laughs> <laughs> and they go through every every different drug. Well, in I don't generation. want. I don't want a hangover. It no, it doesn't give you hangover. That whole scene. The casting it's the cheapest it, shit there is. Yes. The casting in this movie is really smart. So this basically is a Saturday Night Live sketch, really over the course of ninety six minutes. Yeah. It's just taking different things. So what they do is go and get. Really good SNL straight men like Chris Parnell, Tim Meadows. Then you have, yes. you know, my guy, Matt Besser from UCB. You know, you have people that have been in comedy and look at the, then go further out from the cast with that. And it's all people who are amazing comedians. Yeah. They, they put a lot of effort and work in the casting and it paid off. Can I tell you my one problem with the cast though? That's my only problem with yeah. the movie is one casting choice. And maybe they did it to be funny, but I just didn't get it. But uh, shouldn't it have been like, I don't know, Channing Tatum or something like that playing the brother as an older version of him? Like, why would it be Jonah Hill? Oh, right. I know. Right. It should have been someone who's like perfect. I know the same thing. Why they have like a, because in theory, the brother was so perfect and ideal. Right. And he grew up to live this great life. It doesn't make any sense that it would be like a, a chubby guy. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I think that, I think they were just probably stoked to get Jonah Hill to do something and they, they went with that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that was my only problem. With, other than that, yeah, it was perfect. I, I do agree with that. So can we talk about the music a little bit more? Yeah. I uh, got a yeah. Grammy nomination for the soundtrack. And um, a Golden Globe sure. nomination. And for, a Golden Globe, yeah. yeah. What was that, Mike? It's rare that the Grammys would acknowledge like an actually yes. good comedy. So I like to hear that. Yeah, I, I was thinking that and too. So, same with the Golden Globes. And, you know, this is the Oscar bias. The Oscars sn- kind of was very snobbery and didn't give them a nomination. It which it should have. This it music in this movie is really good. It is. Really clever. Very well fun. crafted. Yeah, by yeah. people who know what the fuck they're doing. So you got you have Dan Byrne and Mike Viola. Uh, Mike Viola is a producer who's done a bunch of shit like Fall Out Boy and Ryan Adams, just a, a bunch of stuff. Uh, he yeah. also sang That Thing You Do, that the song That yep. Thing You Do, um, which was written by Adam Schlesinger, who's dead. Who's dead? Fountains of Wayne guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He just died this COVID. year. COVID. Yeah. But well, the mu- Dan- actually, the music in this movie and Get Him to the Greek always made me disappointed because Judd Apatow did both of those movies. Yeah. And then I, I don't know if you guys know who Bo Burnham is. He's like a younger musical comedian. I don't know. But he was supposed to make kind of a parody of the high school musical movies with Judd Apatow, and it never ah. got made. And that, that always bummed me out because I was like, I feel like Judd Apatow and him would do a great job together because of the music in uh, Walk Walk Hard and uh, Get Him to the Greek. Well, uh, Dan Byrne is the other guy who did a lot of the music. It was Dan Byrne and Mike Viola. And Dan Byrne, he's a singer-songwriter. He he did a bunch of the music from um, Get Him to the Greek as well. Right. So he he was on both of this. He did. Uh, I like. I always remember that song Inside of You from Get it, Get it, Get Him to the Greek. Did you ever? <laughs> yeah. I have. It's like, I but I always say, and I say this about Lonely Island too. The brilliance of it is if they if you put it on the radio and you weren't. A hundred percent paying attention to the words, it would work. You would just think it's a hit song. <laughs> yes, um, like uh, oh, what's the uh, oh this one here from uh, Walk the Line? In my dreams, you're blowing me some kisses. <laughs> this is my favorite song. <laughs> it's a good one. Movie. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things to do. You and I could go down. That's <laughs> great. It's, it's really good stuff. That's another brilliant thing they did too is have someone that's clearly not Jenna Fisher singing. Right. Yeah. Like just so over the top. Obviously not her. So ridiculous. Yeah. It, that, that was very funny. I think I think that was a perfect thing. Uh, that, that song in particular is so clever. There's two songs in this movie that I really love. I love that one. I love the very last one. So that's let's do it. Of right. course. And let's what's, do it. What's yeah. the last, do you remember what the last uh, one's called? What, beautiful the, ride. Beautiful, yeah, beautiful ride. ride. Yeah. Which actually yeah. the lyrics are really poignant. Yeah, it's and a good song. It's yeah. a, like, there it, are a few that, as I stand on the precipice of death, it's like that probably <laughs> wouldn't be in there. But yeah, most of them are really good. If it is, the lyrics in there, like that's just good life advice. In in that song, yeah. I was like, oh, that's it was. But all the songs though are, are easy to listen to. None of them are like. Uh, bad songs are no, all enjoyable because they're, they're stylistically correct like a life without you is definitely a roy orbison song it sounds sounds like crying um you get the royal jelly sort of bob dylan 
Ew, oh yeah, yeah, song which which yeah. is like you know just complete nonsense and perfect for me because of how I feel about it. And this is all John C. Riley played his own instruments for almost all the songs and sang on all of them. That that's the thing. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah this yeah. the the music is the most impressive part to me because I I really have a hard time watching movies that center around music because normally they just really they they fuck it up. So I like going in I always have a hard time. It's like everybody I don't know if you guys do but a lot of my friends who are. I would say are not the most, um, I don't know. They don't understand, uh, you know, art music and that type of stuff as much, but they, they love like things like flight of the concords and I can't fucking stand that oh, piece of really? shit. Oh, I can't. Cause the music is so, so, I liked flight so of the concords when I was in high school. I feel like if I watch their stuff now, you'd it hate it. Hold up for me quite as much, but I liked it when I was a kid. Yeah. I was older. You know, I was an older per Yeah. I, yeah, I probably yeah. saw it when I was, you know, in my mid thirties. And by then if you, yeah, if you watched it now, you'd probably be like, these are, this is like, I, I like how Matt is so derisive toward people. <laughs> he hangs out with that don't study music. <laughs> He's like, oh, these, these <laughs> evil people, these idiots, these morons well, I associate it's with. It's tough when you're an expert in something. I imagine <laughs> it's like when Matt watches movies about like an optometrist. So he's, he's got a certain expertise yeah. in his field. He probably the same anger. These idiots that don't know about eyesight. Off the all, that's all right. Uh, <laughs> all right, well, anything. How you corrected the guy who has an eye problem with the, with the terminology? He didn't even know what he had as an ailment. <laughs> Jesus Christ, it never ends. <laughs> Fucking macular degeneration. It's age-related, bitch. So uh, yeah, I don't know. <sighs> anything else? Uh, anything else with this film? I don't know. Um, I, I like it. So do you usually give a grade? I give a grade. What yeah, do you think? I, I think yeah. it's a B. I give it a B minus. I and it, it's honestly that's more about the uh, just the over. I'm just not a big fan of spoof genres. Yeah. But right. if you, but I will say, if you do like spoof genres, this is one you can't miss. For the for music, I would give it me a minus. It might it might encroach on an A. The music, music is, is awesome. Yeah. What do you think? Mike. See, I, I, it's funny you guys say that because I, in my mind, I give it like an A plus because sure. I'm saying it's by far the best spoof parody movie ever. I think the yeah. music is so well done. So to me, it's an A plus because it's like it stands out to me in that genre so much. But I also like uh, just promote the reason I chose it is because I like hopefully your audience will now go and watch it. Yeah, because I think it's just an underrated one that a lot of people don't even really know about. Yeah, I do want to bring up that actually. So this cost thirty five million to make. Yeah, it only made eighteen million domestic, which you know came yeah. out. And not only that, remember this came out December. So what happens is movie studios save their best movies for the summer, so May, June, July, not August, May, June, July, yeah. and they save them for December. So when a studio does that, they're like kind of earmarking a very profitable time to drop a movie. Right. So you, so it, yes, it costs 35 to make, but it really, it's almost more than that because of when they released it, yeah. the risk involved. And, uh, this tanked so hard. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 this, this really, I can't say enough about how it bombed, but it got a huge resurgence later on in cable and in, uh, even in some DVD sales. And I think right. cable works cause you can jump in this movie at any time. Cause there's, and no, it's entertaining. there's no real yeah, like, yeah. plot. Yeah. And, right, uh, and then you can get a laugh for half an hour and, and then just tune out. So these, that's why naked gun has a really long shelf life. Mm. So does air, uh, you know, airplane still works. Because you don't, there's no, these movies age remarkably well. Well, there's familiarity because of the, because of what it's parodying. So exactly. you already have that. Yeah. Spaceballs, that type Spaceballs of stuff. Spaceballs too, right? right. I, I, all these movies can, you can watch now and still laugh really hard uh, and still enjoy it almost as much as when it came out, which isn't always the case, especially for comedies, which have usually very short shelf life. Do either of you know how the money works after, you know, after a movie leaves the theater? Like, are they recouping are they? They're always sort of the studios are already re always recouping money on well, this. How right? money because works is a currency exchange. Okay, you <laughs> son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean like with you know with uh, playing on cable and stuff. Like right. how yeah. So there's residuals. So what happens is a cable station will will like let's say it's TNT. Yeah. And they want like we right. want to so they'll reach out to the production. I forget who produced uh, what hard. They'll reach out to like Warner or whoever it was, yeah, uh, Universal, whoever, and they'll be like, hey, we want to you know. But usually, sometimes they even come like a big package. Like, you're going to get so many Warner movies if you oh, pay okay. X amount. Yeah. And every time it runs, um, Warner gets money. So do the actors involved. And so does and yeah, so do the producers. It's usually like diminishing returns, right? Like, you get half of... Uh half of what you made the first time every single time it plays or something like that? It can be. Sometimes movies aren't always the case. Sometimes you just get like a flat rate. Like, you know, you'll just right. get X amount. And, you know, like John Dennis... Uh, uh, would, was oh, in Kingpin. Kingpin, and he would oh, he right. would like talk about how he he would get like a tiny or some people will post these tiny checks you get like eight dollar checks because <laughs> it ran yeah. on cable for a few times but you know the money just keep you know but for something like Walk Hard though it ha it's had a really nice I think it's had a, a really nice after release life and I don't see it ending anytime soon especially if comedies are going to keep playing safe these comedies that don't play safe 
are going to seem even more fun. I mean, as long as right. someone's going to put it. So it's on um, it's on Netflix right it's now, yeah, but so who knows? If you've never seen right. Walk Hard, check it out. It is on Netflix right now, so go watch it. There, it's free. And yeah. it's, it's what, was, what was it up against? I'm curious. Or what was number one that week, anyways? So number one that week was a National Treasure sequel. Number two was I Am Legend, which we've already covered. And okay, number three like number three is the movie we're unfortunately covering <laughs> on Saturday, which is Alvin and the Chipmunks. So I have to watch that tonight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and this was eighth. All the movies that came out were Sweeney Todd was released the same week. Oh, yeah. That's right. Um, and uh, one other one I'm forgetting. That's a weird time to put uh, Sweeney Todd. It's a Halloween movie, isn't it? No, it's a You're trying to get that Christmas. Yeah. You're seeing you're Johnny Depp headlining music. Yeah. You know, like you're just trying to get, you know. And this movie, they had a lot of hope for. John John C. Riley spent 18 months working on this, learning the songs. Really? Yeah, and he said after this bombed, him and Apatow, especially uh, Riley, Riley said it took him two years to get out of depression after this. Oh, man. Really? He, he put everything on the line for this. I think having stepbrother's success really helped him because that was like one of the next things he did. Sure. Yeah. But um, he put just his entire, I guess he was on set every day, even when he didn't have to be. He was just, he was basically almost like an extra director on set. Mm. And um, he was just trying to make all the actors comfortable and just trying to make, he, this was his, his like, this is his legacy in a lot of ways, wow. even more than Chicago. That's funny because I just think of it as this West silly fucking who gives a fuck thing that makes me laugh once in a while. Everyone put like, cause the music element, everyone put so much extra work than you would a typical comedy. And, yeah. uh, and John C. Riley took this more seriously than he did. Like even some of the Scorsese movies he did because wow. you know, he, this was the first movie he top lined. Yeah. And uh, to have it fail on such a... And it also... You got to wonder, too, did this ruin Jenna Fisher's movie career? Because she never really did a movie again. This yeah. ha- this movie did have a real taint to it for a few years. Not but, anymore. Yeah, but was Jenna Fisher going to have a huge movie career anyways? Like, she was in uh, that Blades of Glory, which was kind of she funny. Was, yeah. yeah. Hall we, Pass, which was kind of funny. But was she ever going to be a huge movie star? So let's say this works. Let's say this makes $100 million. I say yeah. she absolutely gets a rom-com uh, she, yeah, she you know, get a shot. She's in some twenty-five million dollar rom-com movie. Absolutely, um, that's true. Everyone did love Pam Beasley, so she would have. That's true. Yeah, why not have her? I mean, she doesn't have the acting chops, of John Krasinski. She's not going to go become a major star. But could she right. be, you know, along with Andy Garcia in some, you know, rom-com in two thousand nine? Yeah, sure, <laughs> I can see that. I wanted to ask about Jake Kasdan too. Actually, is this the best thing he's done? Do you know what it is? So he, uh, I, I, Orange I, County, Bad Teachers, Freaks and Geeks, actually. In the, that's in the beginning. where. That's exactly it. Um, Who is he in this movie? He's a director. Oh, so he's a director, right? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. So yeah, okay. Jake Kazan is Lawrence Kazan's son. Lawrence Kazan directed The Big Chill, directed Grand Canyon, one of the Star Wars. Yes, he, uh, Empire what did he do? Back. Empire. Okay. Um, and his son is Jake Kazan, who did who got his career kind of off the ground with Orange County. It's kind of how most people found him. He did a movie for that, but Orange County was his first thing, and then he did uh, this. He uh, now he's doing. Um, I like he did the Jumanji reboots, which yes. I, I actually like the the first uh, Jumanji oh, really? reboot. I haven't seen the second one. I'm, I'm sure they're great. Um, <laughs> so, do you not like The Rock? The Rock is compelling to me. I think uh, I I don't like The Rock. Boy, everything Kevin Hart's in is just Jesus. so funny. Huh, guys? Yeah, it just yeah. I, I'm good. That's a hard pass for me. But uh, <laughs> but uh, the best thing Jake hasn't ever did was uh, what he did with Joe Apatow, which is uh, Freaks and Geeks. Yeah, which I know we don't talk about TV a lot on this show. But Freaks and Geeks is the best one-season TV show in history. I'm a huge Freaks and Geeks oh, fan. Oh, without a doubt. I saw the first it's episode and It's amazing that it never got brought back in some form or fashion where they tried to reboot it or remake it in some way. Like, I'm surprised. When, when you see everything's just getting redone now, I can't believe that hasn't gotten a second life in some way. The cast was so amazing for that movie, that uh, that show. It's almost become impossible to reboot. Because True. you look at the names involved. James Franco, Seth Rogen, Jason Segel, you know, I know Linda Carnelly's not a huge star, but she's a, you know, no, she's, she's a, and then you got yeah. busy Phillip. I mean, look at the, yeah, and it was before anyone knew who any of those people were. Yeah, they were all unknown. John Francis Daly, who, uh, uh, is the little brother in that. He's now a major director and screenwriter in Hollywood. Mm. Like you, yeah, even, um, the, the, Martin other Star. Kids, Sam Levine and, uh, Martin Starr. Martin Starr, who's in this Martin Starr, who's hysterical. You know, he's in Silicon Valley. Like mm. everyone yeah. involved with that show became like a pre Sam Levine was in Inglorious Bastards. Like everyone's involved in that show had a huge, that show is hysterical. If you've never seen Freaks and Geeks, stop what you're doing right now and go watch it. <sighs> now that we have no content, I, I need to go watch it. I watched like the first episode and I was like, eh. What's wrong with you? I, I don't know. What, did, oh, did yeah, get through it. I think you'd yeah. enjoy it. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll go Terrible back. Take. Matt's having a bad show today. What are you fucking talking about? <laughs> All right, Shall talk, we move on to the song? Yeah, let's talk about this Mike, great guy. Uh, this is called... One of, one of Matt's heroes. Here we go. Kiss, kiss. That loving, loving, and kiss, kiss. Mm-hmm. T-Pain. 
So the good thing about T-Pain <laughs> is that he doesn't really, um, uh, he doesn't come up on our show a lot. But the last time he did is he was in, he, he did a, he had a credit on a Kanye West song, Good Life. But yes. like he was so buried in that song that you didn't even, he like, he didn't get annoying, but he's annoying in this one. Anyway, I, I, so this I, is Kiss Kiss by Chris Brown and T-Pain. I got to ask Mike a question. So Mike on yeah. the Kirk Mahan show is kind of famous for, uh, uh, I guess, I don't want to say defending, but at least kind of put like. Put it this way. If you know anything about me, you know I'm a Chris Brown fan. <laughs> and he, and it, so we give him a list of songs to pick from, and he picks a Chris Brown fan, the guy that tuned up Rihanna. Like, what? Now, what? Explain this. This is a list from when I was in high school. That song was huge when I was in high school. The le- rest of the list was not great. So I said, all right, I got I to gotta stick with my guy here. And I believe. <laughs> I believe this was before any it was. charges or pictures were released. Right, yeah, he only hit her four times when this. No, uh, <laughs> no, this was this was before all this. Yeah, fact, yeah, he's he was, eighteen. He was really young. He was really young. So right. Mike is younger than us too. So Mike, you're about ten years younger than us, I think, because I honestly had never really heard this song before. I was thirty oh, when I it came it. out, though, yeah. so it wasn't really in my wheelhouse. But Mike, this, this song this was, was big. huge when I was in high school. Pretty much when I was in high school, if you ever heard a song on the radio, it was Akon or T Pain involved. Yeah, T Pain was T-Pain all over, huge. Yeah, he's all over the place. Doing this show, I'm yeah. realizing that. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, I mean, I know he has his own stuff, but it seems like his his only two um, Grammys are are you know attached to somebody else. So it seems like that's his real big claim yeah, to fame is kind of a leech. When he was huge, it was him singing the chorus on right. someone else's song. That's right. So. I sometimes we go um, artist and then album and then song, but let's go the reverse direction because I've got some thoughts on Chris Brown at the end. But so this song number four this week, uh, but we already did the number one song that was no one. Um, right, so, right. Geez. Yeah, so this was number four, but it did hit number one for three weeks. Wow, it's uh, a long time. It did, yeah. Um, I mean, it sold four million copies. The song, the album, wow. sold three million, three something right. million something. Yeah, uh, this year I think Chris Brown. This is like when Chris Brown became huge. Yeah. I think that other song that I heard ten million times with you or something like that. Yeah, it's uh, his other Chris Brown hit. None of them were very good or particularly deep, but they were on the radio relentlessly. Yeah, he had three top three singles. On this album. So it was Wall to Wall wow. with you and Kiss Kiss. Three top yeah. three singles in this album? Yeah. That's and he a had big deal. Two others that were released that charted. Jesus. Yeah. And I, I listened to parts of the album, which I'll, you know, we'll talk about in a minute. But um, so, yeah, we talked about T Pain. This is, this is like feels like sweaty high school dances to me. Like that's, that's what. That's exactly what that's, it was. <laughs> the song, that's kind of what the song like does. I don't know. Um, when you go into yes. a lot of high school dances, it reminds me finally of grinding nope. up on a junior in high school. Now, yeah. I won't say how old I was, but <laughs> yeah. was the last week. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um, so the thing about this, so do you? Okay, would you say that you like this song, Mike, or did you at the time you liked at this the time? Song? Absolutely, you did. Okay, at the time I probably knew every word to this song. Listening back now, it's not. It doesn't do anything for me. But even now, I will say you like you, Matt would despise my musical interests. If, it, if it's remotely catchy, if I can tap a toe to it, it's, it's on my, it's on my list. Well, like, what, I'm not what, a what's very the most, deep music guy. What's like the most recent new song or most recent song you've liked or most recent, like, you know, pop song or something or famous. Song? Whatever, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, any, like I like, honestly, as we make fun of her on the show once in a while, but like any Lizzo or Cardi B songs, I enjoy. Right. Like, I, I, I've, if you asked me if I were a Drake fan, I would say no. But then I realized <laughs> deep down, if you play any one of his songs, I'm singing along to it. Right. So just anything catchy, I'm, well, I'm tapping a toe. Catchy is like the per- that's the perfect word. So yeah. I- I've been trying to unpack this a little bit because I really. So this is my illness. My illness is songs like this get in my head and they spin around and around incessantly. I have a real hard time blocking them out, and then I get annoyed by them. This song is it's basically a four bar phrase that repeats the entire time there's no difference and his uh his melody is like he like like that type of thing or like he he has the same melody the entire time the entire way through and so that type of thing because there are no changes it just fucking kills me because i i can't get it out so but i'm wondering this is this is the like the thing that it brings me to is right now people have such a small attention span why doesn't it annoy them too you know what I mean? If something's just repetitive, doing the same thing over and over and over and over, if we have small attention spans now, why, why doesn't it drive everybody else crazy? Why does it only drive me crazy? Because it's easier to consume. You only need to really even hear one chorus. Yep. But then I why? But I can understand if it's like at a party 
or you know background in your cars you're driving but like why would well, you what it buy is. it my 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 high school generation is when you started to get m- music became what can we play at a dance at a club yeah whatever yeah yeah so maybe that's what it is but people were buying it and i i just can't imagine me as like you know if i were a, if i were 15 if i were your age when this came out i just can't imagine me with headphones on listening to the song i can i mean my- i listen to like so I'm like I said, we're a little older. So I was listening to like when I was in high school senior year, yeah. Puff Daddy was huge. That was his big year was ninety seven. <laughs> well, I have the same problem with him, you know that. Yeah, well, I mean, all right, well, Matt, well, you're 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 a level <laughs> above the rest of us, you know, <laughs> mortals, you know, we try to get by. But I but I'm, so as much as Chris Brown was a big deal in two thousand seven, Puff Daddy was a huge deal in ninety seven. Yeah, he was. And he was everywhere. And I still have like no, we we covered a Puff Daddy song in one of the shows. I still kind of like it. It's obviously it's all nostalgia. I would never listen to it now, but it's kind of fun to go back, and I can kind of see the glimmers of why I like that song back then. It doesn't mean I'm gonna listen to it now, but it's but you know it's when you're 17, 18, I don't know. You just it's more about just like having fun than music yeah. than music like impacting you on a deeper sure. level. Then I like my 30s, I I look at music differently or 40s now. But I love it, pop music of my genre. I just think that the music is change like it's not there used to be verse chorus bridge. It used to have to have changes. Like if you listen, I bring this up all the time, but Britney Spears, her music, not her necessarily, she's not a great voice, but her music is very intricate. A lot of interesting stuff going on, a lot of changes. <laughs> so I'll, it is. But okay. whereas like Chris Brown is just this one repetitive thing over and over. That's it. Well, that's ve- that's very of the t- like if you were going to make a generic 2007 2008 song yeah it would be the shit on chris brown's album or akon like i said and it's did you ever see the show uh, bojack horseman oh i yes. love that show yep. they do a great job of like when they flash back to 2007 having that generic like i never even <laughs> realized because i was in high school so it, it, that was the world to me right. I, I didn't realize it, it was unique but uh, or had had a, a a generational thing to it, but when they flash back to like 2007 and create their generic pop songs for it, it's like oh holy shit, that is every single song that came out. It just kind of fit this melody. There's no there's no depth to it. It's just something that'll make you bob your head. But there is depth if he's partnering with someone who knows what they're doing. This is uh, his partnership with uh, Will I Am. Just give it a second. It pays off. The payoff soon? Yeah. <laughs> See what I mean? Like, there's there's difference yeah, in nice. depth that to that song. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's with Will I Am. So there, that's someone who knows how to produce, who knows how to write. Partnered with him, it, you know, Chris Brown's got a nice voice. And that's, if you listen, listen to Picture Perfect off that album, and it's, 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 I think it's a way better song. I, I don't like Chris Brown's voice. It's too weak for me. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not what his women said. <laughs> I didn't say I, I, I didn't comment about his fist. I was talking about his voice. Jesus. I understand. Um, all right. So I don't know. So the album, um, so yeah, the album, I said three top three singles that uh, all reached top five. Then he released yeah. a double like disc, the same album, just a double disc version of it um, a year later. Oh, that might've been the studio Jesus. trying to make some money you know what's weird though is that like this is probably i don't know if it's chris brown's biggest album but definitely like what put him on the map yeah and there's still there's nothing outstandingly great on here and we've joked about the the shit that chris brown's gotten into uh you know off mic but in his personal life yeah but there are people that are die hard chris but you guys dealt with the the mariah for the lamely chris brown has that sort of legion of Uh-oh. fans too which is does he really at least mariah has a body of work to go on i don't it's understand true. the chris brown thing maybe, well, we, maybe we're careful what we put out Matt, with this one. <laughs> i don't want the brownies to come after me or the Jesus. chris brown <laughs> no but <laughs> team breezy is gonna come after you guys is that what he's named breezy i think so yeah the breezies i'll, I'll look out for that yes. I'll, I'll mute that word in my i'll take care of this one so okay. um uh he sold 140 million records though 140 million records. That's crazy. Like, uh, who did we do last time? Uh, Salt and Pepper. They've sold 15 million records. Wow, so he sold 10 times the records that Salt. Yes. I'm not saying Salt and Pepper is Elvis no, no, Presley, no, no, but, but that's a huge... 140 million is, a, is... That's and, Mariah Carey territory. And he's had zero, yeah. like, artistic... Uh, uh, he's, he's had no impact in my life. None. 
No. And I, you know, I know well, older, if he didn't get into the thing with Rihanna, I think he would have been as big as like Drake now. And I don't understand why that is because I, Drake's music is interesting and yeah. unique at least. I don't get the Chris Brown obsession that there is amongst a certain segment of the population. He has the seventh most Billboard Hot 100 entries. So we were ta- we wow. talked about this on an earlier episode, but those that's are uh, those are sales, Mike. So right. um, 93 that have cracked the top 100. S- what? what? That's wow. the seventh most ever, and he's 32, 33 years old. I couldn't tell that's you. That's Michael Jackson territory. I couldn't tell you one Chris Brown song. This is the kiss, You know what I mean? Kiss, because, kiss? You know, yeah, right, that, right. That's his big hit. Yeah, that's, the, that's what I'm saying. Is I, he, he didn't have that much of an impact, but for some reason he has this loyal group of fans that support the hell out of him. The other thing, too, I thought that was kind of weird was, so he was signed when he was like 14, 15 years old. And, uh, you know, they kind of uh, developed him a bit. And the first album came out when he was, I think, 16. And it debuted number two on the Billboard 200. Now, the Billboard 200 is album sales. To debut that high, they must have really wanted to push it. it. Yeah. Really. So he's kind of, he he seems more of a manufactured star, actually. That kind of harkens back to the days of. Yeah, but at some point that exposes itself. You have 93 songs on the, 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 uh, crack the top 100. But they're, they're not all, manufactured lot, anymore. I've a been, lot of them are duets with people, though. A lot of them are, you know, with fucking T Pain and, and hey. Will I Am and yeah. a Big Boy actually on this album too. That that's one of the better songs. A song with Big Boy or DJ. I think he might have gotten into that DJ Khaled world where yep. he had you know two lines in a song that hit the top one hundred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk right. about his assaults. All right. All right. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so he pled guilty in 2009 for mm-hmm. assaulting Rihanna. Matt always lighting yeah. up the room here. All right. Well, it doesn't have to be funny the whole time. No, we can talk about real no, shit. I want to talk I about. No, right, no, we can. We, we need can. to talk about him. Like we've never talked about it before. Right, so, fine. okay. Um, so he beats up Rihanna. She presses charges. He pleads guilty. Doesn't get any jail time. Nothing. Right. He gets. He gets community service. Then he. Um, he gets into uh, a relationship with another. Uh, what is it like Karusha Tran? I, I don't know. I don't know her. She's a she's an actress. Yeah, I'm not familiar. Like right, right yeah. afterwards, right? Kind of goes on this bizarre, like breaks up with her, kind of, and and does this weird video where he talks about loving both of them. Yes, Tran gets an a restraining order against him. So obviously, so apparently, apparently he was like threatening her. And he threatened to kill her, right? Was that, was yeah. Her, yeah. He goes on the, on Larry King with his mom, says he's shocked, you know, thinking about how he was with, with Rihanna. Mom yeah. said he's never been violent and he blamed the media for driving him and Rihanna apart. Not his fist. <laughs> he blamed the fucking media. Right. Then, um, he dresses up in court because he breaks his, he like gets, he, I think he hit, hits a, like a marijuana charge, a drug charge and uh, has to go to court and he dresses like, he dressed like an Islamic terrorist and he had to be restrained by his attorney, this guy. Well, so there's two things. Wait, so we, wait, 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 okay, one second. Right. Constant altercations. Um, yeah. He got into a fight with Frank Ocean, got into a fight with Drank, Drake, uh, was charged on a hit and run in Atlanta um, and he, uh, there was one more thing. He did something else. Oh shit! I don't remember. Go ahead. We know yeah. he's, he's a good, okay. He's a bad guy. He's a good bad guy. guy. We, we get it. Bad guy. Chris um, Brown. But he is. He's lucky enough to get. He he was lucky enough to be very popular in a time. As much as I joke about it and everything, like yeah, I'm yeah. the guy that defends these people. But uh, he got away with it because it's a time that we will. People say the wrong side of history and all that. That is a dark time where people legitimately said, looked at those pictures of Rihanna and were like, "Well, hey, we don't know their relationship." Like that is a rough. Time. He got very lucky that it wasn't you know 2016. Sure, uh, there were the pictures were out there though of Rihanna's like bruised face and shit. No, it's absolutely, like it's, br- it's brutal. It's brutal, it's awful. So I I think you know we talk about this a lot in this show. Is what does fame mean? Like when you are especially you're a young person, you become that famous that quick. Does that fuck up your brain? It fucks up. Your or brain. was he a bad guy to begin with? Or is it a combination? And a combination. I think a lot of these famous like hyper famous people. Yeah, have there's there's fucking it gets really weird, you know. It yeah, gets, I, my my theory on that obviously I have no idea. My theory would be that Chris Brown might have been a guy that that snaps and yells and loses his temper every once in a while. But with growing up, like you said, he was signed when he was what fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, he was young. So having everyone kiss his ass for his entire life and no one ever telling him he's wrong about anything, then it evolves into that times ten thousand. He also, I mean, he came from an abusive home. His mom, he watched his mom get abused. I mean, sure. you know, to a certain extent, you, you see that, like, you start, if you're a, if you're a young kid, you kind of, you maybe equate that or confuse that with love and, you know, it gets somewhere right. buried down to your psyche, but not a good dude. No, horrible person, for sure. But you just, you know, you look, 
you, like I said, I always go back to like anyone who gets hyper famous, who reaches that level, almost very rarely can survive it. Sometimes they can, like I said, Tom Hanks, but he was yeah. older when he was successful. Anyone who gets successful super young almost always ends up being really fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, there's some Leo and, uh, like, I guess Neil Patrick Harris would be a good example of sure. guys that have sure. clean records. But, yep. uh, yeah, mostly it's it's a it's a troubling road they go down. Leo DiCaprio is a really good example because he, Neil Patrick Harris, yes, he is famous, whatever, but Leo is, like, an icon. Yes. Yeah, and he famous. hasn't fucked up. No. And he's been, like, you know, he was getting Oscar nominations as a teenager. Like, he's been famous our entire lives or, you know, since... And, and he's never really fucked up. I think it takes a really special kind of person to to do that. Even like look at Mac Damon versus Ben Affleck. Like they've basically yeah. had the same sort of fame, yeah. you know, level. And Damon seems to have a shit that has the same wife, you know, and Matt, Ben Affleck's completely off the rails. Right. And it's... You know who, you know who's done a good job with it is uh, as much shit as he gets is Justin Bieber, honestly. He hasn't, hasn't, right? Hasn't he had some weird stuff, though? I, I don't know. Yeah, that's a, I don't like, know. he, you know, he pissed at some restaurant on, on the wall or something yeah, like that's that. that's kind of remember. But he's had little, he's had things that any 16, 18, 20-year-old might have. Yeah. Like he had some speeding bullshit thing. Rebellious, uh, Where it's but almost like he was violent. trying to be a badass. Yeah. But it's just, I think that's more, uh, he's a victim of his childhood playing out in the public. But for as famous a guy as he is, he doesn't seem that fucked up as fucked up as he should be. Yeah. Anything else on Chris Brown? No, let's talk about 2007 a little bit. December. So Mike, what were you, what were you doing in 2007? Like you were going to school. What, what town were you living in? East Long Meadow, Massachusetts. I was a junior in high school. I was, uh, this is kind of when I started, I did not have like a lot of friends when I was younger in high school. I was a very awkward kid. Like two junior year is kind of when I started to, uh, uh, come out of I'm, I became the blind Mike you see before you. This this <laughs> well adjusted of a man. The legend, the, the legend was born. Was becoming in 2007. Uh, so so it sounds like then you probably look back at this time pretty fondly. Then kind of yeah. Um, I guess so. It's I, I was a totally different guy. This is when I was a huge like sports fan, like Red Sox fan and everything, and they just won the yep. World Series. So right. yeah, it was a weird time that I don't even really relate to now like it seems so different and especially like we were talking about uh walk hard it's like if you look at comedies everything seems so different back then like this is when uh super bad came out yeah. and not long after i think like borat came out so this is when that type of comedy was so prominent and it just doesn't exist really now did you want to go into broadcasting when you were like in, at that age like junior in high school <laughs> are you thinking broadcasting yeah. at this time this is when i was listening to like the big show with glenn ordway every yeah. day right and uh, I guess Mike and the Mad Dog was probably just ending around this time. But that type of sports talk radio where I was like, this is what I want to do. And it's funny looking back now because I have no interest in doing that type of radio. But yeah, this is when I wanted to be, uh, you know, the next <laughs> Glenn Ordway. Sure. No, I mean, I will say, though, you, I mean, most people when they're junior in high school are even further away from what they wanted to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think you've, right. you know, I know you're not doing sports, but you still are, you know, talking in the microphone. I think, mean, you know, most people when they're a junior. Yeah. In high school aren't doing the same career path. Were you doing anything like, did you do like any, I don't know, any, I know you did radio in college, but did you do anything like that in high school? Like what changed for you? You said you were awkward and didn't have a lot of people yeah. when you were no, younger. There was no, there was no outlet for this. I knew I kind of wanted to do it or I wanted to be in entertainment in some way, but uh, like podcasting didn't really exist yet. Uh, no, or right. it did, but not what I didn't really yeah. know about it in 2007 as a junior in high school. Um, so I didn't, no, like it's kind. Of, it's funny looking back. I wish I had gotten more into that because I could have been further along at that time. Who knows? But uh, if you're just a junior in high school, you thought there was no way to do it, and now it's anyone can just fire up a podcast and start doing it. Look at us. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> anything else that you want to talk about this time, or should we go to headlines? Uh, let's go to headlines. I guess. Boom. Okay. So uh, on December sixteenth of this year. Ron Paul raised $6 million in one day in a money bomb event. Right. And he did it to uh, commemorate the tea party. Uh, Cause it was the same day as a tea party back in 1770, whatever, five or six. Yeah. Um, and, but there, but that, this is what created the tea party movement because that was so successful that the term tea party was coined and it was all on this day. Right. And it did start with a lot of uh, Ron Paul followers, but then it's sort of tangent off. Of that. Yeah. I, I kind of, it's funny because now looking back at that, I, 
thought of my, it's funny. I'm now getting to the age where I realized how dumb I was even two a year ago, but like, especially <laughs> when I was 16, 17 and thought I knew everything. And this is when I kind of started to say like, I'm a libertarian. I'm a guy that stands for freedom. So I knew the name Ron Paul, but if you asked me about this story, I would have no idea what the fuck you were talking about. Uh, on December 20th, Queen Elizabeth becomes the oldest living monarch at 81. And she's still going. And she's still alive. What the hell? Wow. 13 Jesus years later. Christ. 94. I know. She's immortal. She Her made, and like Betty yeah. White, like they, they, they just will never die. They should do Let's a hope, sitcom. Anyway. They should do a, a, com, a, 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 a reality show together. The entire cast of Cheers is still alive except for Coach. Really? Yes. Yeah, Coach died during That's the show. That's true. Right. Yeah. So me, you and know, none of them. Other, I mean, Ted Danson and Woody Harrelson seem fun, but other than that, if you see any of them, like that would be a sad reunion to watch. Like oh, George Went looks. If they rebooted it, now. like John Ratzenberger, imagine him in like the mailman's uniform. Now it would be so odd. <laughs> it's funny because I, I, I've, uh, I fall asleep to Cheers sometimes. I just put it on in my headphones or whatever. Yes. And uh, there's an episode where, like, they do a flash forward to all of them old, like, oh, as old people. okay. And it's like, yeah, that's that's pretty much what they look like now, actually. <laughs> it was a great SNL bit in the early days, uh, in the 70s, when uh, it's John Belushi. He's he's a very old man. And he the premise is he's the last one that survived. Like, all of the <laughs> other uh, not already primetime players died. Right. And he's the only one that made it. <laughs> it's very sad it's to watch very now. Sad. Of course. Yeah. But, it's, but it's, it is also very funny. Um... <laughs> On I don't this is more of a one for Mad, but maybe you too, Mike. On December sixteenth, the singer Dan Fogelberg died at fifty six. I know Dan. I don't. You, you know him well. Did you go to the funeral? I didn't go to the funeral. <laughs> I wasn't invited to the funeral. No, no my mom. That's he's one of the the artists that my mom, like the folk artist that my mom would listen to when I was a kid. I, I know Dan, his music shit ton. I think Dan Fogelberg kind of sucks. I don't like. He his music. does. He's definitely not my favorite. Um, but there's there's a few songs that are that are really good. Like uh, uh, leader of the band is a, is a pretty song, and there's there's a few of them. But he's not my. He's definitely not my favorite. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. This is so emotional for you. I well, didn't no. was a friend of yours, man. So, uh, kind of Kirk, brought, <laughs> yeah. Kirk brought him up on the show actually a couple weeks ago, Dan Fogelberg. That's right, yes. Yeah. Did, 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 did you reach out to his wife and let him know? <laughs> you know, Kirk, I'd really rather you didn't talk about that. It's kind of tough for me to listen. So sad. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I do. I, I, like Mike said, I got to apologize. I have no idea. Anything else you want to make fun of me about while we're here? I'm sure we could if we did it a little longer, we'd come up with some stuff. No oh, fuck. All right. Well, that's, uh, thanks for joining us. Oh, Mike, uh, that was awesome. Oh. Anything you want to promote, Mike? Uh, I mean, well, listen, you, listen, folks, you probably don't know. I'm Jesus on the uh, Kirk Minahan show. This gets cut M-I-N-I-H-A-N-E, out. N-I-N-I-H-A-N-E. And that can be found <laughs> on uh, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, <laughs> and I also do uh, a show, a dumb comedy show called uh, Drop the Mic on Sundays on YouTube. So watch that. It's very yes, funny. Yes, please. Mike's very funny. We're gearheads. We tell people that uh, on air oh, here on the so podcast. Much. I'm a Quantum Week fan. So much thank so you. that before before we started, I said, hey, I love, uh, is this the YouTube version, guys? And you were like, yeah, we haven't done that in a month. Yes. We're, yeah, was, we're YouTube free for the last month. We're just doing the podcast now. But I do, uh, I am a Quantum Week fan. You guys know that. That's yeah, good. And I, I am, I, I call myself, I think I'm the king of the gearheads. You might be. I have no problem saying that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Penis head and a gearhead. God damn it. God that gets cut it. out that too. Is, you that is son of a bitch. Out, yes. Do that on your podcast. <laughs> yeah. Your own fucking three hour show every day you can do make fun of me. Fuck. Let me have my hour show here. <laughs> I'm going to piss on you in soccer. Oh my, what the fuck? <laughs> All right, boys. All right. All right. Enough of this. Thanks, Mike. Uh, we'll uh, Thank we'll you catch you next one. Bye-bye.